Mind Vibe, a mental health podcast for everyone. Since our first episode in 2016, we have been sharing stories of recovery, engaging with experts, and tackling the stigma associated with mental illness. The Mind Vibe podcast is produced by Ontario Shores Centre for Mental Health Sciences and is available on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Welcome to the Mind Vine Podcast. I'm your host, Daryl Mathers, and today we are talking eating disorders, and specifically eating disorders and treatment at, at Ontario Shores. And to discuss this uh, mental health issue, which has uh, seen an uptick during the pandemic, um, is our very own uh, Dr. Neil Anzai, who is a psychiatrist and with our eating disorders unit, as well as our eating disorders uh, day treatment program. So first of all, welcome and thank you for being here. Well, thank you for inviting me. So we're going to talk a, a whole bunch of things related to eating disorders today, um, but maybe you can just start by you know explaining to people like what is an eating disorder and um, maybe what are some of the signs and symptoms that somebody may be struggling. So here at Ontario Shores, the two main diagnoses, uh, the two main categories of eating disorders that we treat are anorexia nervosa and bulimia nervosa. Um, a lot of people get the two terms mixed up, but anorexia nervosa is the situation where uh, a young person gets obsessed about losing weight, but then as they lose weight, they kind of lose control over this desire to lose weight and go way too far. Um, it actually does impair your thinking and your mind so that you become obsessed with being thinner and thinner. And then at a certain point, the starvation itself affects your brain and you can no longer see yourself realistically. So no matter how much weight you lose, you're either thinking you need to lose more weight, even if everyone around you is telling you you're deathly ill, and you can't evaluate your own body correctly so that either um, you still feel part or all of your body is too big and you want to get smaller and smaller, or you just feel that you it's too scary to start gaining back the weight, even if you want to gain it back. And at that point, it's the eating disorder and this distorted perception that controls you. So what started out as maybe just wanting to be a little healthy now goes to the other extreme, and it, you feel like you have to stay that thin, and you're too afraid to risk even gaining one pound, feeling it's going to get out of control. It also tends to become your sole way of coping with all the stresses in your life so that you also feel that if I give up the eating disorder, I'm going to be completely out of control. I'm not going to be able to live a decent life. I'm just not going to be a decent person. Um, the other disorder that we treat is bulimia nervosa. Um, those patients with anorexia have extraordinary willpower and they can push themselves to this extreme starvation state. With bulimia nervosa, you can do that to some extent, but then your body tries to save you from that starvation. So you starve, eat less and less and less. All of us get extra hungry. Your body just does not want you to die of starvation, so it makes you hungry. And the people with bulimia give in for a little bit, and then they end up just eating large amounts of food or eating it very quickly, feeling out of control, and then panic over gaining the weight, and they do extraordinary things to get rid of the food. And the most uh, common way is to self-induce vomiting. 
where you're able to throw up the food um, to, in your mind, prevent you from gaining weight. Uh, and then that makes you feel out of control um, that you had the binge, the eating large amounts of food, and that you had to do something that extreme. So you try instead the next day to eat less and less and get by with just that. And your body doesn't want you to do that, so you go through this cycle of starvation, binging, and then purging, getting rid of the food. There are other ways to get rid of food, such as laxatives, diuretics, um, drugs even, to suppress your appetite. But usually this is not a successful way of weight control. Your body, again, tries to save you, holds on to more and more of the food. So oftentimes, bulimics might be normal weight or even a little overweight because their body is trying to save them, but they feel as if their body is betraying them by making them eat food. One of the things you mentioned when we talked before was just how intelligent uh, people who are suffering from eating disorders can be. And, you know, I think about uh, stories that we hear in our community about um, parents not even being aware that there was necessarily an issue until um, maybe it's grave or it appears you know, more serious. Like, what are some of the things that, um, maybe I guess one, you know, people do to conceal, um, you know, that they're having some type of issue relating uh, to an eating disorder? And two, you know, parents, like, what can they be looking for or, uh, you know, what's, you know, what can they do to kind of see if there's anything that they need to be, you know, cognizant of? So, well, I'll start with what you initially said, that a lot of these patients with anorexia, there are, they are really exceptional kids. So they tend to be female, but they also tend to be very intelligent. But beyond that, they are the ones that like to follow the rules, to do everything right. They're perfectionistic, sometimes obsessive-compulsive to a certain amount. They also are very kind, caring human beings who pick up on how others feel and are always wanting to help others. Although it's paradoxical that when they get sick, they cannot accept help. They can't tell themselves to do the right thing to help them survive, but instead they get caught up in the eating disorder. So then they start to hide. They start to make everything seem fine on the outside. They usually have this uh, appealing smile that makes you think everything is okay. And so it's hard to tell that they're starting to struggle with the anorexia in the beginning. Um, the weight loss comes gradually. Uh, and for parents who have had these idealistic kids, um, they've never had to tell them no or tell them to do this or that correctly. They just automatically do it. But now you see your child gradually losing weight. But day to day, you may not notice a difference. And the kids hide it. They put on extra clothes. They put on layers. Um, they might be doing a lot of exercise, but a lot of it can be in secret or it's because they're on a team and so they're having to get into shape. But they get more and more extreme. And then during meal times, you notice that they're eating less and less or they're eating healthy, more vegetables and fruits, less meats, less starches, and gradually that goes downhill. So it's not as dramatic, but then oftentimes there's... Uh, a situation where the parents see their kids maybe just in shorts and a t-shirt and they realize how thin their daughter has become and it's shocking. Or they might go into 
see the pediatrician, and the pediatrician weighs them, and it's just shocking that this kid has lost 20 or 30 pounds. And so it's, it's really important for parents to keep track of some of these kids because, you know, they, they are exceptional in so many ways, but it's hard to think that being exceptional in those ways also puts you at risk for an eating disorder. Um, and, you know, the current thinking is that genetically or just in terms of your um, personality or your temperament, that those kinds of characteristics that we normally think as being positive characteristics put you at risk for the eating disorder, but then certain environmental or social stresses then bring it out in you. So one of the recent stresses is the uh, COVID pandemic. So a lot of kids who are doing a lot of sports or dance or other activities and excelling in academics now have lost their social contact. And so that kind of getting some sense of who you are, developing a sense of self, now you have to do it in isolation or you turn to social media. And in social media, you get exposed to all these extremes. So they get exposed to a lot of the female icons, many of whom are very thin, Incidentally, a lot of them may have eating disorders as well, but you're always striving, they're perfectionistic, they want to be that person, they start getting a little healthier, losing a little bit of weight, and then went to an extreme. And there's not that feedback that other people are telling you, no, that's too far, you don't need to do that, you're good in all these ways. But these kids who, during the teen years, are trying to get a sense of who they are, start having a very damaged or distorted sense of who they are. And they're constantly searching for some identity. And initially, when you start to lose weight, you get maybe some praise. You know, this is good. How did you do that? You're looking good. But then as time goes on, people are starting saying, maybe you lost too much weight. Maybe you should eat a little bit more. Oh, you're starting to look sick. And there, at that point, they're not doing it to look better or to be healthier. They're doing it because now that part of their brain has become so distorted that they have to do it. They can't stop. And parents have to step in early in that process and get people to treatment. The other byproduct of the COVID pandemic was now healthcare is impacted. You can't get in to see a doctor, a psychiatrist, the therapist, a social worker to help you with this. So a lot of the eating disorder programs became overwhelmed with so many patients, they can't even get to them. So the wait list to get treatment started to become longer and longer to the point where in some of the community clinics, it might be six months to a year or longer to get treatment. But at the same time, the longer you're in the eating disorder, the longer um, it's going to take to get you better because it's almost like the disorder starts taking over your brain and it's harder to get them to shift back to thinking normally. And the impact to your body and your brain is serious, so that you get, start to get all kinds of medical problems, slow heart rate, low blood pressure, low body temperature, sudden death goes up, um, your brain actually shrinks to where you can't think as clearly, um, so that these girls who maybe were straight-A students now have to study two, three, four times as long just to do the same accomplishments academically. But overall, your risk of death starts to go high, higher and higher, to the point where 
we know that in the long run, about 20% of the people who get anorexia nervosa die prematurely from multiple different complications. So we have to take it seriously. You have to get people to treatment sooner, as soon as possible, um, because the longer it goes on, the harder it is to get rid of it. There's so many things that uh, I want to touch on that you mentioned, but you know, as a parent, as I listen to you talk, I think about like my own you know dynamic. And as a parent, you're often looking for you know quick wins, right? There's so much going on in the day. Yeah, it's yeah. like you want to be able to take a few things for granted, and uh, your kids being able to go into the you know cupboard or the fridge and eat, and being able to trust that that process is happening is one of the things that I think we probably take for granted the most, is that that, that is happening. And it's just, um, obviously, it, it, you know, it's vital to the health of your children that you you make sure that they are doing those things. But that's tough, right? Like, it's tough if you're in the early stages. And, like, as a parent, I could see how you could get a couple months or longer down the road before you realize anything's going on because you would, you know, you would take some of those things for granted. Yeah. You know, um, the more common thing with kids is that they're in the snack closet all the time. They're not eating that great. It's not that healthy. So it's kind of, at first, it's like, oh, okay, well, my kid's trying to be more healthy. I want to reinforce that. But then it just goes too far. Um, and then, you know, kids also use food as a way of dealing with stress in their life. Um, so it can go either way. You're eating too much snack foods, you're just constantly soothing yourself by eating. Or these kids with anorexia feel as if this is my control over the world. I can't control anything else. Um, you know, all, all the teenagers around me, their emotions, they're hitting puberty and adolescence, their emotions are going up and down. Their friends who used to be very steady and calm and reliable now, uh, they're in a crisis one day, they're super happy the next day, then they get depressed. Uh, everything around you becomes unpredictable. Uh, you start helping everyone else, but then at the expense of yourself. So these kids on that level seem to be doing the right thing, but at the same time, they're just not learning how to take care of themselves. Um, on the other hand, you know, kids with bulimia tend to be more impulsive. So they're the ones that maybe get into that uh, snacking as a way of soothing themselves. They're the ones that might do impulsive things that you have to, parents have to step in and discipline their kids in a certain way. And so they're also feeling like, well, I can control this. I lose a little bit of weight when I start with the eating disorder. But then the binging and the purging gets out of control. So as parents, it's like you're always trying to figure out, like, what is the right thing to do with my kids? And not just in this area, but in every area. And so it's hard to figure out what is the right thing to do for my kid? What does my kid need? Um, how much of this is just superimposed on all the identity crises that are going on in adolescence and puberty? And I feel for parents. It's, it's a difficult thing. You know, you were raised a certain way. Sometimes you try and raise your kids the same way, and it doesn't work for them because they're different people than you were. Yeah. Or the environment around them, the social uh, networks that they have to, have to negotiate are very different. So we're all struggling to find the right way to parent our kids. And any parent whose child is struggling with anything is going to feel a certain amount of shame and responsibility and 
sometimes it's got nothing to do with what is happening in the home uh, in terms of your the control as a parent. Mm -hmm. right? It's just it's whether it's environment or some of the things that you mentioned that you know they're uh, they could be predisposed to and they're going through these things and this is their way of, of dealing with it. Uh, you know, when it comes to you know you mentioned. You know, eating disorders predominantly, or I shouldn't say predominantly, but it's uh, oftentimes girls are the ones impacted, not that boys don't deal with uh, eating disorders as well, but for the most part, uh, the numbers would be skewed to the female side. You know, is there an age, like if I'm a parent of a, whether it's a preteen or a teenager, uh, are there times in their life where I should be maybe a little bit more vigilant or focused on their habits as it relates to uh, intake of food? Um, well, you know, the peak onset of eating disorders is in the teen years. But uh, if you look at it more closely, for anorexia, it's the early teens and then the mid to late teens, I mean, and young adulthood. Um, for bulimia, it can be any time well into young adulthood uh, and sometimes later in life. Uh, you know, you really, they, there's not one time that you have to be hypervigilant, I think, as parents. You know, you're always trying to figure out what's going on with your kids. Um, so I think we always have to be vigilant and looking not just for eating disorders, but other kinds of crises that kids go through. Depression also has a lot of onset during the teen years, as well as obsessive compulsive disorder. Anxiety disorders tend to happen a little bit earlier, but get accentuated during the teen years. So. I wish I could tell you that there are these keys uh, or these critical times that you have to be extra vigilant, but, you know, you just have to be there for your kids. And it's hard because, you know, as parents, we're also going through a lot of stress, too. So um, we get a lot of parents who beat themselves up when they get to treatment, like, I should have done this, I should have seen that. You can't really go back and change any of that. You have to figure out what can you do going forward. Um, there are also some parents that, um, you know, their kids were always stars and they never had to discipline them. So they're, they're to some extent stuck in that and minimizing that their kid is really sick. Maybe they just need a little bit of treatment. If I just talk to them, they're going to start eating. Um, there's even some therapists who think, well, I'll just talk to them and then they'll start eating and everything will be fine. It's much more complicated to get treatment and the families have to be involved. Um, they are part of what's going to become the external structure or control that keeps kids in treatment long enough to completely recover. Because we also see a lot of kids and families who get a little bit better, but they're not completely over it. And predictably, as soon as they exit treatment or maybe they drop out of treatment too soon, then they start to regress back into the eating disorder and then have to be hospitalized again and again and again. Here at Ontario Shores, we get a lot of those kids who've not been successful on the outside for various reasons, and they come to us, and we're looking at treating the whole child. Um, we're looking at not just getting their weight back in a normal range, not just getting them to eat food that's going to sustain them and allow them to recover physically and um, mentally, but we're also looking at all of the psychological inputs to that, whether it's comorbid problems like depression, anxiety, OCD, or PTSD, but we're also looking at them trying to fight for a sense of who they are separate from the eating disorder. 
separate from all the stresses they're facing in our complicated lives. And that's a complicated process. It's slightly different for every kid. There are some common issues with the eating disorder, but the trying to get them back on track to develop a good sense of who they are, to actually be proud of who they are, and to like this person they've become, that's a challenge. That is a universal challenge, I think, for just adolescents and growing up. Just as you were you know, just talking about treating the whole child, you think about people talking about symptoms versus like the root cause. And you know, I think about when you know, I first uh, heard about eating disorders, you, you know, I really instantly connected it to a physical health problem. Right? I don't, I, you know, I you know, you know people that struggle, they go someplace, they come back, they look a little healthier, and, and you figure, you know, that's it, right? It's, you know, right or wrong. I think the perception out there was it was the, you know, equivalent of getting a cast on a broken arm, you know, once it's healed, it's time to move on. And certainly today, and as parents, um, you know, a quick fix, you know, is not something that um, is often associated with any mental health issue. So when you talk about you know, the root cause, um, you know, parents and, and families and children who come into care, um, there's, it's not a quick fix, right? I'm getting like, you know, you're coming into care for uh, whatever time in your life. Um, it's going to be a journey. It's going to be a long road. Not that there's not hope, but uh, in terms of setting expectations, like you're, uh, you're in it for the long haul when you when you come to Ontario Shores, freeze, or is that fair to say? Um, yeah, well, it is usually a, a long haul by the time you get to us because we're tertiary care. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't want parents and kids to stay away from treatment thinking it's going to be the rest of my life. In fact, there are a lot of kids, if you get identified early and you get to treatment early, it doesn't have to be that long a treatment. I mean, one of the one of the treatments that's been developed and studied over and over is family-based therapy. Not just general kind of family therapy, but a specific type of therapy that if you do, a large majority of kids will do very well because then you take them out of starvation mode, take them out of this distorted way of thinking, refeed them, their brain starts to work better, they get back into normal life, and then it can just follow a normal trajectory in terms of development and becoming the person you're supposed to be. Unfortunately, the longer you're sick, the less likely that treatment is going to be able to help. Um, so if you just do family-based therapy after a short period of illness and you don't have all these other complications going, you can do very well. But then some kids don't respond to that. Some families are not able to manage it in that way, which is basically refeeding your kid, making it just happen. Um, but if you can't do that, or if you're sick longer, then there's all kinds of battles that go on. And so these families are often torn apart. Here's my perfect little child, and then now they're starving. I can see them just withering away and dying in front of my eyes. And families will do extraordinary things to try and get them better. And therapists can make all kinds of interventions. But if it's too strong at that point, then you have to recognize maybe the first or second level of treatment just hasn't worked. And then you get referred to Ontario Shores for live-in treatment or for day treatment. 
And we have to help you with that. We have to teach the kid what's going on with them and the typical struggles. We have to help the parents figure out a different way to manage all of this. And it's very hard. I mean, they basically have to say, you don't have a choice. To get better, you have to do this. And it's not really what you look forward to, but it's what you have to do to save your kid. Um, and that's very hard, especially for these parents who've never had to say no to their kid before because they were always so compliant. So in that case, it takes longer than we want it to take. There's no magic pill that we can give you that will make all that go away. There's not a magic short-term intervention. There are multiple interventions we have to do that will help for parts of it. But then you have to continue treatment because you have to get completely out of the eating disorder. Being back to normal weight is one goal, but then it often is several months for your brain to recover and for you to see that it's okay to be at this weight and start focusing on other parts of your life. That's what we try and do here at Ontario Shores. Treat the rest of the, treat the entire person and help the parents learn how to support their kids getting to where they need to be. It's essentially, let's get the kid physically healthy, you know, um, solid weight, start to develop good habits, and then we can start to deal with some of the issues, uh, like the root cause. Yeah, that's, right? that's the start. Um, in fact, there was an interesting study done in World War II where they gave conscientious objectors um, military deferment. They didn't have to serve in the war if they would participate in a study that would help them understand what's happening to the starving prisoners of war. And there was relative starvation. They cut these men's intake in half. They lost about 20, 25% of their body weight over six months. And it's interesting that a lot of the symptoms we see with anorexia nervosa developed in these men, men who are low risk. It's also interesting that those symptoms, it took a long time for those symptoms to go away. So that it, you know, you could refeed these men because they were starving and weren't afraid of getting fat. They would eat a lot of food, maybe four or 5,000 calories a day but it took six months for them to recover just to be at the original weight. But then it took another six months for all these symptoms of semi-starvation to go away. So the impairments in your social functioning, psychological functioning, physical functioning, all that took another six months. So if you've been starved long enough, it's just, it's maybe six months to stabilize your weight at a good weight, but another six months to recover psychologically and physically. And they, they weren't in the middle of development. So you superimpose that on the difficulties facing adolescents growing up in today's society. It can be the long haul, but a lot of intensive treatment up front and then gradually lessening treatment, but you have to continue to make sure that that eating disorder thinking is completely gone. So specifically around our eating disorder unit, EDU. Um, we'll get into the day treatment a little in, you know, I mean, a question or two, but uh, for EDU, can you talk a bit about the program? One of the things I know, having just visited the unit several times, is the physical structure is different than uh, the rest of the units in the hospital. And when it was designed, it was designed specifically to treat eating disorders, eating disorders whereas some of our units were just designed as units and we just, you know, we make do with, you know, the physical space. But in this situation, 
you know, there's a, you know, there's a glass kitchen where it's wide open, and I know there's meal prep and different things that we do together. But maybe you can talk about what life is like uh, on EDU, both for um, the patients, the families, as well as the staff. Like, how does all that work together uh, on EDU? So the eating disorder unit, EDU, um, interestingly, the funding came from the provincial government, the ministry, um, because they were sending kids away to the United States to be in residential treatment. Um, and a lot of those kids were coming back, and they weren't any better. So initially, it was a way to try and keep the kids closer to home, but also to improve the treatment so that these kids would actually recover fully, or at least a lot better so that just outpatient supports would be enough. Um, so the EDU was designed specifically for these kids, and because they're not just there for a few weeks, they're there for maybe two to four months, that it needs to be a friendlier, open environment where we can refeed the kids, but then work on things psychologically, but then also keep them up to date with their schooling and keep them up to date getting on track with normal development and social skills. Um, so the unit is designed that way. So there is a special area to eat because that is probably the most stressful part of the kid's day, uh, at least to start. So we have to explain to them why you have to eat a certain way. We have to help them get through the meal. We have to recognize all the little behaviors they do to try and not eat, to hide food, to drop food on the ground, smear it on things, um, but then encourage them to do it differently so that we ensure that they get the right amount of food to continue that physical recovery. Um, but then we have to engage them in, in different therapy groups to talk about the ways that you can change some of these distortions in your head, talk about some of the things in common they have that maybe help uh, start the eating disorder, but then also help them talk about the typical things that are going to happen as you go through this development and all this complicated social atmosphere that we live in and help them try out different things. And then at the same time, helping their parents figure out, how do I understand this? What can I do to help? How can I create a positive environment for my kid as we transition home? And a lot of the admission is trying that out in the real world, taking your kid home, trying to figure out how we can create this same positive environment at home without the kids battling everything. Because, you know, going home, you start remembering all the battles I had with my parents. They tried to feed me, and I couldn't deal with that. I got overwhelmed. I got into fights. Uh, everyone was fighting with each other. Um, meals were just torture. How can I change that into something that's supportive, that's more like a normal meal? It's more like, I don't know, with, with your kids. Hopefully, you grew up where at least part of that was just Everyone came together at the meal table, and you got to talk about life and things that were going on in each other's lives, and how do you deal with this and that. In the beginning, um, with the eating disorder, that all gets changed. So how do you transition it back to something neutral and then positive in your life? Um, it's, it's an interesting process, and parents have to learn things not to bring up at certain stages and things that are okay maybe at a later stage, um, but they also have to create that positive environment again 
so that the kids look forward to it instead of just a few months before. It was, they were dreading every minute of it. So we have to make that transition for parents. We bring, bring a lot of the parents together on certain days on the unit so they can talk about their shared experience together with the kids. We get the kids to talk about what they were thinking when some of these things were going on, how they want it to be different, give them a different sense of control, a locus of control, that they can control some things, but they also have to recognize, I'm not ready to control other things like the eating, so I just got to do what my parents or my treatment team says. Um, so putting all these things together and then talking to them individually about where they are, what are the unique issues for them. What did they have to resolve to be able to move on from the eating disorder? What was the eating disorder doing to help them cope with things they felt like they couldn't deal with any other way? And finding different ways of doing that. And then feeling okay, just opening up about who you really are. Um, Not just to the therapists or the staff, but the family to some extent and to their friends. And how do you manage that difficult social interaction? with a lot of other kids who are going through similar kinds of identity issues. It may not be around the eating, but it may be around other things in their lives. And so learning how to negotiate all of that without having to turn back to the eating disorder is a very tricky transition for these kids because for months or maybe a few years, that's what dominated their life. That was the thing they turned to whenever they couldn't deal with life. So that's EDU, that's our inpatient unit, which is a provincial resource, uh, meaning uh, our patients come from all over Ontario. When you talk about the day treatment program, the eating disorder day treatment program, how does that work in terms of, you know, um, seeing patients and families? Like what are the differences and, um, you know, what do the days look like in terms of that program? So the day treatment program is designed so that the kids can live at home. So obviously you have to be close enough where your kid can come for the day and you take them home at night. So what we're trying to do is get kids earlier in their disorder where it's not as resistant or maybe they've been through inpatient and then now need a transition to home. So they come for five or six hours a day, five days a week and we try and do all of that while also keeping them on track for school. And we try and accomplish these things um, that I just talked about uh, for the EDU, um, but doing it in a less restrictive setting. So hopefully we're able to prevent those kids from needing to be in the hospital or needing to be in a residential or live-in facility and help the parents learn how to create that environment at home. So that's uh, you know, something that we can offer um, to parts of the province. Uh, and the kids can engage in all of the same kinds of activities. Structured meals, meals with parents, family meetings, family group meetings, individual therapy, talking to a dietitian, um, all while they can keep some semblance of normal life at home at night and on weekends. So being a a tertiary hospital, um, as you mentioned, anybody coming into our care, uh, whether it's eating disorders or the day treatment program, 
would have been through the system seeking treatment for eating disorders at some point. So if I'm, if I'm watching this or I'm talking to somebody and I hear about um, the two programs related to eating disorders at Ontario Shores and I think that this might be the right thing for my, uh, my child, what should I do? So um, people come to us from all different sources. Um, we're also now recognizing how long the wait lists are for all these programs. So if a kid is in treatment, maybe has needed medical hospitalization a few times, your treatment team just needs to make a referral to us and then we'll take it from there. Um, there has to be a physician or a nurse practitioner involved, a primary care doctor, psychiatrist, nurse practitioner, um, anyone who can actually make the diagnosis and send them to us. So if, uh, if there's not someone on the treatment team uh, that meets those qualifications, then you can go to your primary care and make the referral. Similarly, if you are in a day treatment, if you are in outpatient treatment, um, or maybe you're on a wait list to get into outpatient treatment, if your physician or nurse practitioner feels like it's serious enough, then they can make a referral directly to us as well, either to the eating disorder unit or the day treatment program. Um, so all you need to do is, well, you can go to the Ontario Shores website. Um, parents can look up the process, but it has to be done by a physician or a nurse practitioner. Um, we're getting people who are coming from other treatment programs, people with multiple hospitalizations, uh, maybe someone who's starting to do well during a hospitalization, needs a step-down program. But we're also getting people who are just entering the treatment process. And so um, you, you can uh, look on the website and find out what the process is and then get your treatment team involved um, or get your primary care doctor to make the referral. Sometimes in the mental health system, which is a system with a capital, not with a capital S, with a small S, because it's not <laughs> necessarily seamless, um, at least with other programs, in my experience, like sometimes we tell uh, families, like, take the referral form and go to your doctor. Uh, in this case, it would be, um, would we recommend, learn as much as you can, go to our website, learn about our program, learn about whether it's state treatment or the inpatient unit, and go there with the knowledge to your doctor, to your treatment team, uh, to have that conversation. Because they might be familiar with what we do, they might not, uh, depending on who you're seeing and, mm -hmm. and um, you know how new they are to the area or that uh, you know, particular organization. So. I think would that be good advice for parents to, to take that information with them, learn as much as they can, and, and talk to the, the provider? Yeah, I mean, definitely we want parents and patients to learn as much as they can so they know what they're dealing with and what's involved. But, yes, you should take it to your physician. If the physician's not familiar with the referral process, then they can call us directly, and we'll walk them through the process. Um, you know, we also do a lot of education for the community. Uh, unfortunately, you know, therapists and physicians, even psychiatrists, get very little education in school. So a lot of this they're having to learn on the fly, learn from the community. So we also do outreach for a lot of physicians and nurse practitioners as well as treatment programs to help educate people. Uh, there's also um, a very active uh, organization in the community, Eating Disorders Ontario, that is also trying to educate the community and all of the practitioners in the community to deliver better care. 
Here at Ontario Shores, we're fortunate that we have several staff members and myself who've been doing this for a long time. So we, we know the ins and outs of what has to happen. Um, personally, I've been doing this for about 40 years now, so I've seen almost everything there is to see with eating disorders. But still, every patient is unique. We have to deal with that. Um, also, we will offer education to um, other parts of the community as, we, as needs become obvious. Probably the last question I'll ask you. But you mentioned social media earlier in our conversation, just you know, its impact, and uh, especially when you're you know, developing in those, those preteen, teen years, and those images you see, and the, the story you tell yourself about how they look that way and how they got there, and kind of the, you know, the potential negative consequences of, uh, of those images and those stories you're telling yourself. I, I wonder about language. Um, because you know, there's generations uh, where we talk to each other differently. Um, you, you know, we are more aware now of like body shaming and some of the things that uh, the harm we can have just by the words we choose, right? I think about you know seeing a, a family relative for the you know first time in a while, and you look so skinny or you're getting so big, right? And maybe girls don't want to hear that they're getting big and uh, or somebody sits on somebody's lap and you're like oh you're so heavy right like maybe things that generations ago seemed harmless and just part of our vernacular but in today's world you know i wonder if we need to be more careful about especially uh, the language we're using and who we're using it to and and when and is that an area where collectively we can improve well, I think that's an area where we can always improve. I mean, throughout the ages, you know, we've made all kinds of comments about kids growing up, good and bad, or sometimes just sarcastic. Um, a lot of our humor nowadays is sarcasm, except when you get an eating disorder, there is no sarcasm. Um, you, can't so, you can't sort out that someone's just being funny or being sarcastic, and it hurts. Um, I think a lot of social media um, all these things being said really hurt to the bone. Um, you know, social media has also become more and more extreme in different ways. Um, fortunately, now there are some people fighting back against that. All these isms, all these uh, areas in which we uh, burden people with having to be a certain way and, you know, you can't be this way or you can't be that and we're becoming more accepting of all the variety of humankind that makes us so interesting and the world fascinating. Uh, hopefully there'll be more of that. There's also a lot more of social media that's trying to fight um, the stereotypes of female bodies or just bodies in general. Um, I think there's a popular song now, um, I Know Victoria's Secret. It was made up by a man. In other words, it's just, it's just trying to get people to fit into a certain stereotype that we should not be able to fit in. I think life would be very boring if everyone was the same. And you have to appreciate that you know, we love people not because you fit a stereotype, but because you are who you are. It's the entire person. Um, otherwise, everyone would want to marry only one person in the entire world, and everyone else is never good enough. We care about people on that genuine level. You make that connection. 
that's what we have to instill in our kids as they grow up, that there are lots of different definitions of what is good in the world, and that you don't have to be this stereotype in order to be okay. Um, so we always have to fight uh, these, the social media and the extremes that it takes us to, and we have to be much more accepting about ourselves and each other. Yeah, it's a continuous journey of self-improvement. You know, as a as a parent, you're, um, you know, you're often going back to your own upbringing and trying to cherry pick the things that you like and didn't like, and and then uh, sometimes the world tells you that you need to change too, yeah. and and it doesn't come from a, a, you know, it doesn't come from a bad place. Maybe some of the habits that you have, or it's just it's just evolution. It's just the way the, you know the world is is going currently. So it's interesting. It's been a it's been great talking to you. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, I think this subject is quite relevant. Uh, you mentioned, or we both mentioned, the, you know, the pandemic and the impact that it's had on people with eating disorders. But it's also been an, an issue we haven't talked a lot about. You know, uh, not just on Ontario shores, but just in society. You see a lot of ch chatter about depression and anxiety, and even. Uh, illnesses like OCD, you know, they're part of uh, everyday language, but there is still a, a really big stigma or taboo associated with eating disorders. And yeah, unfortunately, you know, three years is a large chunk to take out of someone's life, especially if you were a teen during these years and you, you're battling some sense of yourself. So I think Unfortunately, we're going to see the fallout of all of the pandemic, uh, the indirect effects of the pandemic that will color this generation. Hopefully, there'll also be a lot of stories of success. People overcame that and got back to the life they really wanted and needed and loved for themselves. Well, thank you to you and your team for, for being there for people now and down the road. Appreciate we'll be there. it. Make sure to like and subscribe and turn on post notifications thank you for watching mind vine podcast